Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Soledago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about the common and medicinal wild plant cleavers and a couple of its relatives in the genus Gallium. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I have learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. Well, here we are, turning through the wheel of the seasons once more, and we have just passed summer solstice, which is the longest day and the shortest night, kind of the apex of the sun. And commonly now, it's known in our culture as the first day of summer, but really traditionally, historically, and in the view of the sun calendar and in the view of the plants, it's the middle of summer. And it was historically actually called midsummer. Um, and if you think of Shakespeare's play, Midsummer Night's Dream, that takes place on the summer solstice. And really, you know, from here on out, our days are getting shorter. And we've, we've kind of crested the hill of the intensity of the summer sun and, and things are slowly, slowly beginning to wane. And so I really do feel like the summer solstice is the middle of summer and that as we progress into toward August, and toward the harvest season, then that is when fall officially begins. And really the first day of summer, according to the sun calendar, is May Day or Beltane. And that's when things really start coming alive. But I think in today's culture, maybe because 
of more cultural things like school ends and summer vacation begins right around this time and the really the heat of the summer really starts to kick in a lot of times it is considered the beginning of summer but again according to the plants and the sun calendar this is the height of it and if you are a gardener or a farmer then you probably this likely makes sense to you as well. So some flowers that I like to think of as summer solstice flowers that are all blooming or starting to bloom right now. I'd say the top three that I think of would be rose, number one. And right now here on the coast of Maine, the Rosa Ragosa beach roses are blooming abundantly which is a lovely sight to see and scent to smell. Right now next to me, I have some harvest baskets that um, have a looser weave to them and are pretty big and wide and open. And so I have, I'm drying some rose petals in them. And I, you know, did one harvest of rose petals and then I spread out my baskets and just put one layer of petals in each the base of each basket and then every day I give the basket a shake each of the baskets a shake I keep them in a warm room out of the sunlight and if there's any chance of a lot of humidity in the air outside I keep the windows closed so the room heats up quite a bit it's an upstairs room we don't really want a lot of humidity in the air because the rose petals will reabsorb that humidity and not really fully dry and then can tend to mold if they don't fully dry or they keep absorbing and reabsorbing air humidity. So once these fully dry, it's already been, well, I harvested them on Sunday and today is Wednesday. So probably by Sunday, they should be dry enough and um, they'll go into a glass jar once they're nice and crisp and jar dry and I will have them um, for tea and for face steams and foot soaks and fun things like that. The next solstice flower that I'm that I am thinking of these days is yarrow. And the yarrow is just starting to bloom right now. And oh, it's just one of the highlights of my summer is when yarrow is blooming. Every summer I always make yarrow tincture and also dry some for tea. And I just love yarrow so much for so many reasons. I will do a definitely do a podcast episode on yarrow. I also want to do one on rose. And the third solstice flower that I would like to highlight this summer at some point in a podcast episode is an herb commonly known as St. John's wort. Hypericum perforatum is the medicinal St. John's wort. And I learned to call it St. Jones wort from Susan Weed. Um, I just love how she dubbed it that because it is such a great herb for healing burns and it can also be very sun protective as a topical infused oil. And as she says, uh, Joan knows a lot more about burns than John ever did. And 
it's really interesting because the Hypericum, the St. Jones wort, when taken in a, like more of a drug form, in a pill form or a standardized extract or in a dry form of the plant, it can cause photosensitivity where people will either get hives or um, have very, you know, their eyes will become very sensitive to the sun or will burn more easily to the sun. But when you work with the plant in fresh extracts, like a tincture made from the fresh plant material or an infused oil made from the fresh plant material, it doesn't have this side effect, which I think is quite interesting. And it's was originally called St. John's wort because it blooms on the summer solstice, which um, when the Christianity started turning a lot of these pagan earth-based holidays and times of the wheel of the year and changing them into Christian holidays, um, they dubbed the summer solstice as St. John's Day. And so because St. John's wort blooms around the solstice, depending on where you are, then um, that's why they named it that. Supposedly, there's a couple other reasons why they named it that, but I can't wait to get into a whole podcast episode on Hypericum, but that is not today's episode either. However, I will say that this is the earliest. I just noticed today the hypericum beginning to bloom, and this is the earliest I've ever seen it bloom here on the coast of Maine. Usually it's, you know, into July when I start to see it bloom. So this whole year, this whole season, this whole summer season, I feel like we're about two weeks ahead of blooming of where we usually are. And it's been a very hot, dry summer so far compared to many of our previous summers. But the herb that I really want to talk about today is cleavers, gallium aparine, and a couple of its um, relatives, which are bed straw, which cleavers is sometimes also called bed straw, and sweet woodruff. And I want to talk about these because cleavers is is a pretty common weed in a lot of places. And I'd say it's most commonly today known as a herb that supports lymph function. But I have not been finding it. I've, you know, I've lived on this island for 14 years and I've only seen cleavers twice living here once was walking on on a trail and it was one plant that I saw growing and I just remember being like oh my gosh cleavers and the second time was you know a couple years ago when I was working for a client and in her field on the edge of her field there was a small patch of cleavers which I did harvest a small amount from and made a very small jar of cleavers tincture with but there is a lot of bed straw on this island, tons of it. And when it blooms, it just looks like this mat of beautiful white, delicate flowers everywhere. 
And then there's also a lot of sweet woodruff, but that's more of a garden plant. I don't see that growing wild around here, but I see it in a lot of people's gardens. It makes a beautiful shade ground cover. I just went to a property that I tend the gardens of where I had spread a lot of seaweed around on top of wood chips around some blueberry plants. And it's funny when you spread seaweed around as mulch, especially if it's seaweed that's been on the beach for a while and already starting to rot, it has seeds in it of the coastal plants like the orac and this like sea arugula. And so you'll often will have in your garden, if you plant, if you have seaweed as a mulch, you'll have these beach plants that also tend to grow in the seaweed in your garden, which is kind of funny. And so for some reason, this seaweed that I had spread must have had a bunch of cleaver seed in it as well. Because when I went to this property that where I had put the seaweed was now this year, I'd put I'd put the seaweed last spring, and this year when I went there, it was full of weeds. Luckily, they were easy to pull, but the orac, which is almost, is very similar to lamb's quarters. It's like the ocean lamb's quarters or something. It's delicious. This like salty, spinachy, edible green that you find growing on the beaches. On the, and then the sea arugula, which is spicy. Um, it has somewhat like arugula leaves, but it's more succulent and it is in the mustard family. And it just has this really pungent, fun flavor to it. But then all growing up through that was cleavers, 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 cleavers. It's the most cleavers I've probably ever seen and definitely the most I've seen on the island. So I was really excited to see that patch. And it was in a garden that, that my client had wanted me to, to, weed out everything. So I was able to harvest all of those cleavers. And it really made me want to learn more, dig deeper into cleavers. And so I'm excited to talk about that with you today. As I was doing this research on cleavers, because I wanted to know more than just, oh, it's the lymph mover herb. Um, that I I came to realize that a lot of people use the bed straw or the gallium verum interchangeably with cleavers, which I didn't realize. I just kind of thought, oh, you know, bed straw is maybe just more of a edible, you know, you could put it in your salads in the spring, the tender leaves, and but it doesn't really have the same effect as cleavers, but come to find out they actually have very similar chemistry and similar effects on the body. And then the sweet woodruff, the garden plant, which is gallium odorata, is a little bit of a stronger herb. And if you take too much of it, it could have some toxicity to it. So I think of sweet woodruff as an herb that I like to put in fuse in wine for like a May wine. And I do, I feel like it makes the wine usually a, like a white wine. It gives it this beautiful vanilla flavor, especially if it's the blooming sweet woodruff. And it just needs like two or three stalks. It doesn't take much. 
or stems, I should say, of the sweet woodruff. But it's, I, it, I just feel like it makes the wine a little bit headier. Like it's just like get a little bit more woozy. And I, last year, I made some May wine and had it a few times, but I really, that was all I could handle. I just, it was kind of like, whoa, this is intense. And I haven't really been called to do that again this year. It's just kind of like, makes me feel woozy just thinking about it. And I swear, I didn't have a whole lot of the wine. <laughs> uh, but I love it as a garden uh, ground cover. It's so beautiful and really makes a nice mat and stays kind of short to the ground. The gallium genus, um, it comes, the word comes from the word gala or gala maybe, which means milk in Latin. And supposedly all these gallium plants have the ability to curdle milk and are useful for making cheese. Some people may, used to call it the rennet plant. It's the gallium genus of plants is in the Rubiaceae family, which is the same family that coffee is in, which I find very interesting because looking at the plants, comparing the cleavers plant to the coffee plant, they look so different, but they must have similar flowers because that's how the families are differentiated is basically based on, usually based on the flower. Definitely cleavers versus bed straw. I would say cleavers is what you're going to find in the herbal marketplace and on store shelves and available to purchase in bulk quantities, dry plant material. I would think that cleavers um, is what you're going to find. And it's probably because it's more of a substantial plant where the bed straws is even thinner and more delicate in nature. And it probably just would take a lot more plant material to equal the amount of plant material for cleavers is my guess. Um, but I'm not exactly sure why that is. Cleavers are cool. It's when I was weeding that patch um, of cleavers and the other beech herbs, you, I just immediately, as soon as I put my hand and touched the different herbs, I could tell whenever I was touching a cleavers plant because it just it like catches on you. And if you look at cleavers closely, all along the leaves and the stem are these little almost hooks that are like little, that I guess hooks that kind of line the whole edge of the leaves and the stem. And the cleavers itself is actually very kind of fragile and delicate and weak stems they don't really they can't stand on their own if they were growing all on their own they would just lie on the ground but they want to be tall and they want to have access to that sun so all this gripping action or cleaving action that they have allows them to grab on to the other plants that are growing around them and almost like act as a vine and vine up the plants it also helps them to be transported because they can break relatively easily. And so you can kind of be walking through a patch of cleavers or an anim another animal or deer could be walking through a patch of cle cleavers and the cleavers could hook on to the fur or to our clothes 
and be transported that way. And the seeds themselves, they have super tiny flowers. You'd almost never see them. They're the tiniest little white flowers. And then each flower produces um, a seed ball that is basically two seeds next to each other, kind of like two balls of seeds that are also hairy with these little hooks that easily can catch on to things and be transported that way. So my understanding cleavers is pretty much native to most of the northern hemisphere of the planet. Uh, Europe, northern Asia, North America, although I think that there's still some debate as to whether it was um, native to maybe only like western North America and then the eastern North America. Maybe the colonizers brought the cleavers with them or hard to know but so there's a little bit debate there but most likely native to North America it's interesting that in the spring the cleavers in in the very fresh young leaves can be a, a spring green that can be cooked and eaten or added to salads, but then once it gets a little bigger, you know, these hooks, I don't think would be very comfortable eating them in the mouth. <laughs> and the, but the bed straw can be also added to salads and the flowers are edible as well. The bed straw um, got its name because supposedly it was used as the bedding for the baby Jesus in, in the manger. And the, but also it was used to kind of stuff mattresses and pillows uh, back in the day as well. Because it is kind of light and fluffy to some degree, just kind of the way it branches out, it makes kind of like a fluffy straw, I would say. So there's actually a lot more that cleavers can do for our bodies than only supporting our lymph. But I'm going to get into that and I'm going to get a little bit into the lymph and then also how to make remedies with the cleavers once you find some in your neck of the woods. So stick with me and we'll get into it. System, our lymphatic system carries lymph fluid through it. And it all starts with the blood, our red blood cells in our arteries. 
and our arteries carry the oxygenated blood out to the far reaches of our body. And as it does so, the blood vessels branch and get smaller and smaller and smaller until they're just capillaries. And they're so small that only one red blood cell at a time can pass through it, along with some of this interstitial fluid that helps to kind of carry the blood cells. The red blood cells give their oxygen and nutrients to this interstitial fluid around them. And then they are able, these nutrients and oxygen, to cross the capillary walls and go into the cells of our body. And the cells take in the oxygen and the nutrients, and in turn, they give out, send out their metabolic waste products back into the fluid. And then that fluid goes back into lymphatic vessels instead of back into the blood vessels. And the lymph is carried through the lymphatic system, which also carries white blood cells and the metabolic byproducts, pathogens, and things that the cells don't want. And those go through all of the lymph nodes, which are little nodules throughout our lymphatic system, where the metabolic byproducts are broken down more, pathogens are killed, um, and there's things that our body no longer needs or wants that's carried in the lymph. And then that lymphatic fluid is then reintroduced back into the bloodstream near the heart, and it goes back and gets pumped back into the bloodstream. And from there, goes back through the liver where the liver is like, okay, this is the metabolic waste. We don't want that. These are the dead pathogens. We don't want that. This goes to the intestines. This goes to the kidneys to be eliminated from the body. So our lymph plays a really important role. I think I saw something somewhere that if your lymph was completely still and not functioning at all, not flowing, um, you could probably only survive that for 24 hours. So it's very important what our lymph does and or what our lymphatic system does. And where our blood vessels, our blood is pumped by our heart muscle, right? But the lymph in, in humans does not have its own pump. It's moved by by our movements, by our body moving, by the muscles, the soft muscles around the lymph vessels moving, and then that helps to move the fluid through. So it's where our blood is constantly moving at a relatively steady pace based on our heart rate. The lymph doesn't really have a steady pace, and it's, it's more or less just based on different movements within our body. So we hear a lot about herbs that are lymph movers. And I always wondered, I was like, well, how, how can herbs be lymph movers when what's really moving lymph are our muscles in our bodies? And I asked one of my mentors this, and 
the answer that I got was that similar to how, you know, astringents work on the body where they work on a cellular level where this, they, um, they, it's more like a pulsing action on the cell. It's not only a, a tightening, like we think of things, astringents is like tightening and constricting and drying, but it actually is more of a contract and release on our cells allow for that astringent action and so the thought is that with our lymph it's more again on more of a cellular level more of a contraction and um, letting loose not necessarily with the big muscles but on more of a cellular level like on a different power of 10. So that I found interesting and seemed like it made sense to me. And so cleavers is an herb that is well known to support lymph function. Because it is supportive of the lymph, it's also known to be able to help reduce swollen lymph nodes, or if your body is really struggling to work out an infection, um, whether it's tonsillitis or um, any other kind of infection that's causing these swollen lymph nodes that are taking a long time to get small again, then cleavers would be indicated for that. Also, if there's a lot of edema or lymphedema where the lymph isn't flowing well enough and so it begins to pool and swell, then cleavers could be very helpful for that as well. For PMS and breast tenderness during premenstrual time, um, cleavers could be very helpful in easing that as well. And also in that it helps our body to improve lymph functioning, it is also very supportive to our skin health because if our lymph is not functioning properly and we have a lot of buildup of metabolic waste, it can often show up in our skin with skin conditions. And so cleavers can be very helpful for a variety of skin conditions to ease them, especially red, inflamed skin. Um, and it can be helpful both internally and then also topically to help ease that. And interestingly enough, I found that the cleavers, a lot of people say that cleavers is helpful for people who have psoriasis. And that's a, a skin condition that there aren't necessarily a lot of solutions for. So um, it would be interesting to try at least um, daily use and relationship with cleavers to see. And of course, uh, eczema, any type of eczema cleavers might be helpful uh, in alleviating as well. So also cleavers have an affinity for our kidneys and urinary tract. They can help to soothe and cool any sort of inflammations involved with that whole urinary system, whether it's um, inflammation in the any part, the ureters, the bladder, 
um, cystitis, prostatitis, anything like that, um, irritated bladder, um, irritated urination, burning hot urination, you can always think cleavers could be helpful. And probably more so in a tea or a juice, uh, it could be very soothing to irritations in that system. And it's also known as a diuretic, so to help with um, excess, you know, relieving excess water from the body and uh, increasing urination. It's also known as an astringent. So again, this ability to kind of tighten mucous membranes. Another, I think even before, it seems like in the older books, before cleavers was thought of as a lymph-specific herb. It was thought of as more of an alterative. And this is a term that I've talked about in a few other podcasts episodes, but an alterative is basically an herb that helps our body to function better and to process metabolic waste better, which we have seen in the lymph action, but also by supporting the liver and the kidneys and our digestive processes, herbs that are alteratives really help us to reach a healthier state of being in just that they're able to improve the functioning of key organs that help us to metabolize and eliminate everything that we ingest. So also alteratives tend to be called blood cleansers or if they are mm, considered alteratives, they are herbs that support healthy blood content and flow and cleavers specifically can do that, but as well as it's high in um, protein and also minerals and vitamins. It was and maybe still is considered a classic spring tonic. So it's one of the herbs that's first up in the spring. And again, like I said, it could be a nice spring green an edible spring green, but also just because it helps to get our metabolism going um, and our liver function going and just to help our body. If we have just buildup of metabolites and pathogen waste and different things from the winter, just kind of kind of help move things out that we no longer serve us. There is also some reference out there to the ability of cleavers to increase metabolism and as a support in if you're looking to maybe lose a couple pounds or if you're looking for a support for weight loss then there is a chance that cleavers could be helpful for that I think originally it this is like way back um in some of the earlier herbal texts it was maybe more that it was the seeds that were ground into a porridge and then eaten. And maybe if that was the only thing you're eating, then it would help you to lose weight. I'm not sure, but um, I'm not a big proponent of herbs for losing weight. And I always feel like that's kind of gimmicky, but 
Um, if it's something you're interested in, there's no harm in working with cleavers. It's a very safe herb and a nutritive herb, so you could give it a try. The talking about the seeds quickly makes me remember that, and I have not tried this, it just seems like it would be a lot of work because the seeds are so small. But one traditional use of cleaver seeds is to roast them and then make a tea with them that has a similar coffee flavor to it, apparently. Maybe that bitter roasted flavor. And the fact that it's in the same family as coffee, there is no caffeine, so it wouldn't be a coffee replacement as far as the chemicals, the chemistry, but maybe as far as flavor goes, or maybe it would be nice along with some roasted dandelion roots and some roasted cleaver seeds, if you had a lot of cleaver seeds available to you. Seems like it would take a lot of effort, though, to harvest all those little seeds but maybe there's an easy way to do it. I have not tried it myself. So other ways to work with cleavers. And again, I think that bed straw, the gallium verum could be used interchangeably for all of these reasons, as I just discussed. But things that you could try is to make uh, an infused oil with the cleavers for a body oil. If you had any sort of skin irritations or inflammations, or even if you had tumors um, or skin nodules or cysts, whether they were um, cancerous or not cancerous tumors, its cleavers is known to help to reduce the size of them. Um, I have seen reference to people making earache oil with the cleavers and the bed straw, even more specifically, bed straw in bloom, just to help relieve the pain if you have chronic earaches. Uh, tincture. I made a tincture with the cleavers that I harvested. I made um, a tincture and then I'm also drying the cleavers as well. So the tincture I made was with fresh cleavers and I basically, you know, took them and chopped them up with scissors so that I could fit a lot in a jar. And I packed my jar full of the cleavers. I didn't like totally pack it super tight, but lightly packed with cleavers. And then I filled the jar to the top and covered the plant material with 100 proof vodka which is 50% alcohol and 50% water in the vodka itself. And then I just put a tight lid on it and I labeled it. And in a few days I'll go back and I'll open the lid and see if it needs to be topped off. Sometimes, especially with fresh plant material, um, they can kind of absorb a lot of the alcohol and then the herb material on the top is not completely submerged under alcohol and it can oxidize and turn black or brown. So it's just kind of nice to go back and top off your tinctures after you've let them sit for a couple days if needed. And I'll let that sit for six weeks or more before I use it. Um, if I feel like I need it, I might just try it out anyway, because I'm really kind of feeling called to these galliums this summer and exploring them. I'm going to also make a bed straw tincture so I can compare the two. And I just noticed I 
in my very, very overgrown, weedy garden, uh, noticed from my, my office window, I was looking down and out and over, and it just is, I can see the bed straw blooming from here. It just it looks like a white, fluffy cloud. So I think now is the time. I'm going to go do that. The other way that I'm going to work with this cleaver is as I'm drying a bunch of it, I have it kind of laid out on screens to dry and kind of hanging over um, a wooden clothes drying rack. And so once the cleavers is totally dry, it's almost already totally dry. It's only been um, maybe 36 hours since I harvested it. But I'm going to make nourishing herbal infusion with it and try that out because it's nutrient rich. It's an alterative. It's protein rich. It doesn't have a strong scent or a smell to it. There's no volatile oils in it. Um, and so I'm going to try that out and see what it's like. There is a lot of reference into texts as far as making a stronger brew, and it, uh, which would be more along the nourishing infusion side. So like weighing out an ounce of the dried plant material and putting it in a quart jar, covering it with boiling water, or filling the jar with boiling water, putting a lid on it and letting it sit four to eight hours before straining and drinking. And then there's also a lot of reference to people drinking just cleaver tea, especially for, you know, inflammation and irritation in the urinary tract. The other really popular way that I hear of people working with cleavers is by juicing it or making what's called a succus, a S-U-C-C-U-S, which is essentially um, make, you know, extracting a juice from a plant for medicine. It takes a lot of cleavers, I think, to actually make a little bit of juice. So for me, if you have a total huge yard full of cleavers, that might make sense. But I think the infusion is probably going to be as effective, the nourishing herbal infusion, and um, it doesn't can need as much plant material, but you're still using a large amount of plant material, but you're not concentrating it so much into a juice. So uh, I hope that you go out and see if you can find any of these gallium herbs growing around you, especially cleavers. Cleavers can be really fun to play with and explore. Give it a try, see what you think. You can find me if you're more interested in information on herbs and wild crafting and home herbalism, check out the Solidago Herb School on Instagram or Facebook or what my website, solidagoherbschool.com. You can also sign up for an informational and inspirational newsletter that I mail out. I used to mail it out very regularly, although Summer's been hectic, so I haven't been mailing it out lately at all. So you don't have to worry about getting an abundance of emails from me. But when I do feel inspired, um, I really pack them full of information. And there's always a fun recipe as well in them. And you can sign up for that on my website. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, 
be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube